God, we do thank you. Lord, we do praise you for what you've done for us. Father, I pray now that as we come to your word, you would clear our minds, clear our hearts of those anxieties, those worries, those concerns, those cares that we have from this upcoming week, or last week, or even later today, Father. You just give us the ability for the next few moments to just focus on your word. Father, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to hear and see what you have for us this morning. Father, I just pray that if there would be anybody here who doesn't know where they stand with you, that you reveal to them the truth of their heart, that your light and your word will shine upon them. Father, you would cause us to see that we need Jesus and nothing else. Holy Spirit, I pray for your strength to deliver this message. I pray that you would take it from my lips to the ears of the ears, and the Holy Spirit, you to do the rest. Father, I have no power to give her a heart, but you do. Father, I believe your word when it says it is a double-edged sword, dividing the soul and the marrow. Father, I pray that as I preach, that sword, that word would be unleashed. And its power would convict sin where sin needs to be convicted. In your name we pray, amen. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. John Stott, in his book, The Message of Galatians, says that these verses, these four or five verses that I just read, are fundamental to an understanding of biblical Christianity, for they concern the central issue of religion, which is how to come into a right relationship with God. The question that we all have to answer is how are we, as humans, to be reconciled to the God of the universe? And in verse 9 of chapter C, we see that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, and that blessing is to be in a right 
relationship with God and to have your sins forgiven. And as we come here now to verse 10, Paul begins with a very little word, for. Which could also be translated, because. So what you have between verses 9 and verses 10, what I want you to think about, is somebody asking a question to Paul, why is it that only those who are of faith are blessed? Why can't I work my way into a right relationship with God? So verses 10 through 14 are really just a continuation of Paul's argument from 9. And we have to have that question in the back of our minds when we listen to it. Why is it that only faith blesses us in Christ? Why can't I work my way? Verses 10, verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. The Oxford English Dictionary defines rely as to trust fully or to have faith in or to be dependent on. Every single one of us understands this concept. You got up this morning, you got into a car, you relied on that car to start, you relied on that car to get to here. If you rode with somebody else, you were relying on the driver to drive safely so that you got here safely. And every single one of you, if you realize it or not, you're relying right now on the bench that you're sitting on to carry your weight and everybody else's weight. We know what it means to rely on something. We do it every day, and most of the times we don't even realize we're doing it until what we rely on doesn't work. Then all of a sudden, you realize, I need that. I guarantee you, if that bench you're sitting on breaks down, you're going to, Ken's going to freak out first, but you're going to be like, I really was relying on that bench. We rely on a multitude of different things and people every day, and we're not thinking about it until it doesn't work. Anyone who is relying on the works of God to bring them into a right relationship will find out, unfortunately, if they don't change their heart one day, it didn't work. It won't work. It can't work. Works of the law in verse 10 are to be understood as the adherence to a system of laws, civil statutes, and priestly ordinances set forth in the Mosaic Covenant. Basically, it's anything that you do trying to earn a right standing before God. Whatever it is. If you are trying and relying on your ability to the law of God, to earn favor with God, not only will it not work, but Paul says you are actually under a curse. You're cursed. How many of you remember chain letters? Email letters? Email chain letters? For those of you who are younger, it would come through email. It was this letter that you received or an email that you received. Do this. Send it to 10 people. Or this is going to happen. Or if you do send it to 10 people, something good will happen. If you don't send it to 10 people... Your cattle die, something stupid like that. That's what's meant here to be under a curse. You are liable, you are guilty to whatever the consequences are for not doing the thing set forth. That's what it means to be under a curse. 
The curse contained in these chain letters was failure to send a message to rely on something stupid happening. If you don't do X, the consequence was Y. The same is true for anyone who relies on the works of the law. You are liable for the consequences and the punishment that comes with not being able to fully carry out the requirements of the law. That's the curse you're under. But unlike the curses of those chain letters, unlike the curses that we will sometimes pronounce on people who we don't like, unlike the curses that come through those emails and those letters, this curse is the condemnation of a holy and righteous God. And that's what Paul means in the second half of verse 10, when he says, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. Again, we have that little word for Why am I under a curse? You're under a curse because God demands perfection. The second word cursed is not like the first word cursed. The second word cursed carries the connotation you are under divine judgment. Consequences that will come only from the Almighty God. And the verse that Paul quotes comes from Deuteronomy 27-26. And in the immediate context, if you've never read this chapter, in the immediate context, Moses takes the nation of Israel and he splits them between two mountains. He has one half standing on one side and one half standing on the other. And the Levites begin to pronounce curses. Cursed be everyone who doesn't follow the law. Cursed be everyone who doesn't who disobeys their parents. Cursed be everyone who does this. Cursed be everyone who doesn't do that. And every time the curse is pronounced, the people say, Amen. I believe there's 11. 11 curses directly mentioned in 27, chapter 27 of Deuteronomy. But in the larger context, Deuteronomy 27, 26 caps off 16 chapters, 17 chapters, where Moses restates the law of God to the second generation of the nation of Israel. The entire law, Ten Commandments, all of it, priestly ordinances, laws concerning marriage, laws concerning divorce, laws concerning how the nation was to conduct itself in the land. And at the very end, the last curse that the Levites pronounce, cursed be everyone who does not abide by everything written in the law and do them. And the people said, Amen. So you can make the mistake that what Moses here is saying is, well, it's just those 11 commandments. It's just those 11 things, and if I do just those 11 things, I'll be okay. You'd be wrong. God requires of us that it's to be understood that all things means everything that God commands all the time. This is why Paul says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by these things. Abide means to continue in, to persevere in, to remain in, to stay in all the time. Not when it's convenient, not when it's easy. Every moment of every day. Here's an illustration straight from the lips of Jesus Matthew 5 48. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his hearers to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. But what's really telling about when Jesus says that is what he has just finished saying. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Really? The Greek word Jesus uses is agapeo. For those of you who know anything about Greek, the root is agape, Christian love. Jesus says that when your enemies, when people persecute you, when people harass you in the office, when it's that person who sits three desks down who just won't let you alone, whatever it is, think in your mind of that one person who drives you nuts. Jesus says, love that person. But don't just love that person. He says, have a great affection or care or loyalty towards that person. Really? When Jesus says, love your enemies and then calls you to be perfect, you see what he's saying? It's impossible for you to do that. It's impossible for me to do that. I'll be honest, I have people that drive me nuts. I do not always have a care and a confection and affection and a love towards them like I'm called to have. And if you were honest, you'd say the same thing. This is the exact same word that Jesus used in John 3.16 for God so loved the world. He had a care, he had an affection, he had a loyalty towards the world that he had created. It's the exact same love that is used to describe the affection between God the Father and Jesus in John 3.35. And it's the exact same love that Jesus talks about when he summarizes the entire law of Moses. So here we come back to that thing, you need to abide by all things written in the law. 613 laws. Jesus boils them down to two. You need to love God, same love. A deep care, a deep affection, a deep loyalty towards. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And Jesus says the second is like it. Love your neighbor, exact same love. Deep concern, deep care, deep loyalty towards. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to abide in the law, to abide in all of these things? It means every moment of every day, every thought of your heart, every action of your will, everything you are to be about is a deep affection towards God and a deep affection towards your neighbor. Do you see how all-encompassing of life this law is? Do you see why we're under a curse? The thought you had towards the guy who cut you off this morning on your way to church, was it one of deep concern, of deep care, of deep love, of deep affection? I'm guessing not. Unless every thought and feeling you have towards the person who drives you nuts is one of great care, great affection, and loyalty, you are guilty of transgressing the law of God. And Paul tells us that we are under the curse of his divine condemnation for doing that. Verses 11 and 12. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them should live by them. Paul says it's evident. 
we should see this, we should know this. This is not something that should be difficult for us to grasp and to understand. He says it's evident, I believe it's evident for two reasons. One, we've just shown, I've just shown from Scripture, it is impossible for humanity to do this. It is not possible for you, for me, for anyone to fully, all-encompassing, carry out the law of God. That's evident. Look around. The second reason it's evident is because the two, faith and works, as a way to be justified before God, are mutually exclusive. Okay, they are irreconcilable. You have one on one side and one on the other. And that's what Paul has just told us. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, you should do that. So to be justified before God is faith or is works. Not a combination of both. Either you're going to earn it, or you're going to place your faith in the one who has. But they're irreconcilable. You can't bring them together. What I mean is you need to pick one or the other. Are you going to live your life by trusting that God has justified you? And as verse 9 has already said, he blessed you with Abraham. Or will you seek favor with God through adherence to the law? which I have already shown leads to condemnation. Paul himself has said as much, the two are mutually exclusive in chapter 5 of Galatians in verse 4, when he says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, for you have fallen away from Christ. You see, Paul can't even reconcile the two together. So you have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make. But the question I ask is, what is the faith that Paul's speaking of? Because we hear a lot about faith these days. You just need to have more faith. Just trust more. Just, just have more faith. What does that mean? Have more faith in what? Faith is very simply complete trust or confidence. That's not hard. But is, is faith, is complete confidence and trust all we need? I mean, can I place my faith in politics? Can I have faith, complete confidence and trust that if my political party gets in, everything will be okay? How about my job, my 401k, that promotion I'm looking forward to? Can I place my faith in that? I mean, Paul, up to this point, has just said faith, right? Is this what he means by living by faith? Some of you, hopefully, right now, are really concerned that I keep going, because if not, there's going to be a lot of confused people. <laughs> no, faith is not the point. Yes, we need faith, but it is not just faith. Faith that saves, the faith that takes hold of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You can place your faith in whatever you want, but if it's not Christ, it won't save you. No matter what the world tells you, no matter what your heart tells you, your 401k will not be there the day you die. You're not taking it with you. I guarantee you that. You won't be able to stand before the judgment seat of the throne and say, well, look how much money I saved. 
Look at all the good things I did. Look at all the promotions. Look at all this. Look at all I acquired. Look, look, look. How many of you remember Evangelism Explosion? I don't remember. I was just... It was brought to my attention this past week. There's a question. The second question you ask. If you were to die tonight and stand before God... And he asked you, why would you let me, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Keep that in mind as we keep going. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he asked you the question, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? Verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Listen, faith in and of itself can't save you. The only faith that saves is the faith that takes hold of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I read at the very beginning of this service that we love him whom we have not seen. You have never seen the risen Christ. Yet you love him because you have faith in him. In verse 13, Paul says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. It means he's purchased us. He's delivered us from harm. The language that Paul is using is that of a ransom price being paid. And to Paul's hearers, they would have understood this to be something off of the slave market, where you would go, you could purchase a slave, and you could set them free. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's purchased us. And if that sounds harsh, he's ransomed us. And if that sounds harsh, just listen to how the biblical authors and the biblical writers explain this. Jesus himself says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. He came to purchase us, to buy us back. We were sold as slaves into sin. And he came to redeem us from that curse, to redeem us from that slavery. Peter tells us that we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, but not with perishable things such as gold or silver. Well, listen, we were purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, who is Christ. Thank you. In Acts 20, 28, the leaders of the churches are told to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers for care for the church of God. Why? Because he has obtained you. He has purchased you. He has bought you with his blood. See, Christ did not go to a cross simply to make salvation possible. There was something definitive that happened on that cross. There was a ransom that needed to be paid. There was a curse that needed to be settled. And Christ did it. He did this, Paul says, by becoming a curse for us. Notice Paul says he became a curse. He wasn't under a curse. He didn't have a curse placed on himself. He became 
a curse. We sang earlier, you became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're told that for our sake, God made Christ sin who knew no sin. So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. There has been no person from Adam apart from Christ who is sinless except for Christ. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God. Jesus Christ was, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, in every respect tempted as we are and yet sinless. So know that when Christ was hanging on that cross, he wasn't hanging there for himself. He had no debt to pay, but you did. And apart from faith in him, you still do. So my question this morning goes back to what I just asked before I started it on Christ. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he asked you the question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If your answer is anything short of you should, accept that. Christ purchased me. He redeemed me. And by faith I laid hold of him. You're not getting in. So what are you relying on this morning? Your own works? Which Paul says lead to condemnation? Or Christ's finished work on the cross? Which leads to life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for becoming a curse. Father, thank you for willingly laying your life down, being nailed to a tree, experiencing the wrath and the curse of God for me. Father, I pray now if there's anybody here, anyone, can't answer the question why should I let you into my head if you should but that Christ died for me Father reveal that to them Father show them that they are lost to an eternity of hell and hell separated from you not a hell that will one day stop but an eternity. Father, forgive us where we failed thee. Father, show us our sin. Show us our need for a Savior. Lord, when you do give us the grace necessary to turn to repent of our sins, embrace Christ through faith. But your word tells us 
leads to the blessing of Abraham, that we might receive the promised spirit, which is the guarantor, the guarantee of our future inheritance in heaven. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.